Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the TTE podcast. And today, um, I want to get into a topic I've been seeing in the news a lot the last few months and kind of want to explore a little bit um, what this subject is and really dig into, you know, what it is, what it isn't, how it's covered, um, you know, how it's taught or perceived. So um, I asked my brother and sister to jump on. Um, to help me discuss the topic of critical race theory and and really go through what it is and what it isn't, because a lot of people seem to think that they, or a lot of people seem to have a strong opinion, I should say, of what they believe it is. And I kind of want to explore a little bit what it is and what it isn't um, and sort of how it's covered. So um, with that, Brian, Denise, good evening. Good evening. Uh, Good oh, there evening. Goes. Sorry, <laughs> I yes. was like, <laughs> I, I forgot I was on mute. I'm sorry. Yes, that's okay. We all experience technical difficulties from time to time. <laughs> um, so, with that, um, I, I think we need to work from a specific baseline of what exactly critical race theory is. Um, Denise, I know you found a definition of it that I think is a fair definition that we can work from and kind of build off from there. So um, if you would be so kind to read the definition of what critical race theory is, and then we'll, we'll dig deeper into it from there. Okay. So um, it has a lot of different types of definitions out there. I went with the Encyclopedia Britannica because that just felt really official. Okay. (laughs) I mean, you can't get any more. For the record, no one buys those anymore, but okay. (laughs) For the sake Uh, of the discussion, we'll go with it. Why don't you go ahead and explain that to a young person? I mean, hey, they they moved the entire catalog online, okay? That's all I'm saying. At least they don't sell them door to door anymore, but that's a whole other story (laughs) in our our childhood. Tell me you're old without telling me you're old. (laughs) Exactly. <laughs> basically, basically. But anyway, so, we digress. Go ahead, Denise. What, what, is, so critical, what, what is their definition of it? Yeah, so critical race theory, also known as CRT, is an intellectual movement and loosely organized framework of legal analysis based on the premise that race is not a natural, biologically grounded feature of physically distinct subgroups of human beings, but a socially constructed or culturally invented category that is used to oppress and exploit people of color. Critical race theorists hold that the law and legal institutions in the United States are inherently racist insofar as they function to create and maintain social, economic, and political inequalities between whites, non-whites, especially African-Americans. That's a lot of words that you just said. And I was so, just thinking the same thing. I was like, I hope there this is there's no memory test on what that is. Yeah, because I'm failing that test. If I have, to I'm not going to lie to you. It's it, basically really t- it's just two sentences, it's just with sentences with a lot of commas. Yeah, but of, they're run-on, run-on sentences. sentences. <laughs> thank yeah. you, thank you, Tubbs. Now my now my B level, um, <laughs> my B plus English skills are kicking in from high school, which I hate to admit that I was a solid English student, but um, I digress. I was too. It's all cool. So well. So basically, the gist of what you just said is, is that it's a, it's not, I want to make sure that I I say this the right way, that critical race theory 
is more built around the premise that the laws and the regulations and the legislation out of this country was purposely built and designed to disenfranchise I'll say specifically people of color, but largely marginalized people in general. And it's not necessarily some sort of physical um, manifestation within human beings um, that makes us categorically different. It's more yes. of it's more of a system of rules and laws designed to disenfranchise people. Is that a fair way to sum up what you just said? I would say so. I would say, say also just to kind of like put it a little bit in a neater little box is that when I look at critical race theory itself and I talk to somebody like that, that feels like if I talk to somebody who was white and they feel like they are woke and they tell me that they don't see color, that's critical race theory flipped in my mind hmm. because that's a, you know that's, a perspe- that's a perspective I had not considered. It's, it's flipped, not saying that some, now there's some people, some white people out there who truly don't see race. And I, there's nothing, I've got nothing against you. If that's you, that's you. But however, and you're going to hear me moving around for a second because my dog is, is currently growling at the window. Anyways. So, um, I would say that, when I hear people say that to me, not going against them, and if that's what you believe, that's what you believe. But I know as a black woman that there are laws and there is a certain way of living that affects me because I am black and not to the person who said, who's telling me that they don't see color. Right. And it's that those systems of laws are by design sort of built on top of each other in a way that not only disenfranchises people of color or marginalized people, but that it happened. It still happens today. Yes. And I I just want to be clear about what, what this is versus what this isn't. And the reason why I say that is because, well, before I get too deep, Brian, I'll look to you, sort of, what are you, when you hear all this, what do you think? Like, are you feeling and thinking the same way, or do you see it differently? No, I mean, I think I'm I'm pretty, pretty much in line with you guys on it. I mean, it's, I guess when I hear it, and, and certainly we can kind of talk about maybe a little bit of the minutiae of kind of really kind of getting into it, but to me, when I hear critical race theory, I think, I think like Fox News overblowing it. I don't. It, the crux of it, my understanding is, uh, it is something that is studied at a graduate, like law school level. So this is like post secondary, post secondary, whatever, whatever the term is that escapes me. But um, so it's that type of level. So like your your second graders not being taught critical race theory. Like I think it's whole thing is kind of spiraled way out of control in terms of what it actually is. And I think if people had a better understanding of what it actually was or what it is, um, I don't know that it would help, but I hope 
hope that it would it would do something because certainly, like I said, I think that people are kind of <clears throat> excuse me, um, kind of putting their own spin on it. And you know, once once the spin happens and it kind of gets further away than from what the actual definition is and what the actual conversation should be. Well, I'm I'm glad you said what you said because I feel like from a media perspective, and that's one of the things I kind of want to discuss, is it's certainly been weaponized by people. It's certainly been um, made to be the scapegoat and the boogeyman for a lot of different things. The one thing I, I want to be clear about when people listen to this is if you're, if you're afraid that your child is learning critical race theory and you're really scared or intimidated by it because you don't understand it or you believe what you've read and what you've been told about it, I think the thing to be clear about is if your child's learning it, it's because they're in law school. That there is no, to your point, no second grader, no fifth grader, no twelfth grader uh, or a senior in high school. I don't think they call them twelfth graders anymore. But – there's no K through 12 kid that is learning critical race theory as a result of the school district promoting it. And that's because the states have broad latitude to determine what the curriculum is in their states. So by and large, no state's going to sign up for it. It's going to be something that your that you would learn in law school and i kind of feel like a i think for the most part that's probably appropriate i think college is probably the place um where you sort of introduce that first and i say that because this is such a sensitive subject that requires context and nuance I could easily see this being weaponized in a way to where certain people were made to feel certain children, I should say, are made to feel a certain type of way based on who's teaching this and how it's being taught. And I don't think any child should be felt to feel shame that way, um, regardless of what the intention is. So I think it's okay that it's taught from a, post-secondary education perspective, but I don't know that it's anything to fear either. And I just think sometimes the media and, and the media does this on both sides. So I'm not going to say it's exclusively um, a right wing sort of thing or a conservative sort of thing. But in this particular instance, it is, it's, I think Fox and others weaponize this to scare people into motivating them to take a specific action. And I just want to say, I don't think that there's anything to fear about critical race theory. But what I would say is that it requires an uncomfortable conversation. And I think it's a conversation a lot of people don't want to have because they would have to acknowledge the wrong and have to acknowledge the humanity of the suffering that was endured by people then and now and how it's interconnected. Does that make sense? Because well, now no, I it, feel it, like I just no, it, said no, a run on sentence. It, it, it does. Uh, and that'll be the theme of the night. But, um, <laughs> But to 
your point about nothing to fear, I think that's a relative term in, in the context of, um, you know, it, it will, we may get into this, you know, a little bit more as well, but the retelling of history, right? So what, you know, as a parent, what do you, what are they teaching your kids versus what do you want your kids to learn? And so what's, what I might not deem as harmful or maybe informative for my children may not be what somebody else does. So I think the whole thing about it's not harmful or doesn't hurt anybody. Um, I mean, people are going to have their feelings all in a twist about it. And as we've seen with countless school board meetings and state laws and legislatures passing different things, you know, to me, that it, you know, how we tell history is important. Um, but just like I said, to your original point, nobody's getting hurt by it. Well, you know, if depending on what your news outlet is of choice, either everybody's getting hurt by it or nobody's getting hurt by it. Right. It, it, just in terms of teaching it. Right. Teaching just to be teaching yeah, just it. just in terms just to be clear about what it is that, that you're saying, just in terms of 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 teaching it. No, I, I don't I don't disagree with that. I think it's. Again, I think it's controversial because it forces people to have then have to have a conversation about something that they they either makes them uncomfortable to talk about or don't feel equipped to talk about. And going back to another episode where I had a discussion about equality, if we're ever going to achieve this mythical place called equality, then there's got to be some acknowledgement of all of all of the disenfranchisement if that's even a word of marginalized people in this country and how it was done systematically over time but like there asking, has to be an asking, acknowledgement of that you're asking someone to you're asking them to acknowledge white guilt I wouldn't go that far I no no no, no. I want to be clear Denise. I'm not I'm not going into this I'm not going. I'm not wading into those waters when it comes to white I know guilt. That, I, yeah, I know that you're not, but that's how some people are going to take. And it. I think that's why it's controversial because I think people will hear this discussion, and some people will say, "I don't want to feel guilty about something that I had nothing to do with." And what I'm saying is, is that I'm not asking you to feel guilty about something you had nothing to do with. I'm not even asking you to feel guilty about something that you ended up being the benefit or receiving the benefit of. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is there needs to be an acknowledgement of it, because if you can't acknowledge it, we can't ever fix it. But if we can't even acknowledge it, then then it becomes an issue to me. Does that make sense? Yes, but I would say, and this is something that Brian kind of touched on too, when I think about teaching it to our kids, I kind of take the critical race theory part out for a second. And I just look at just teaching basic history to your kids. And we, we all went to a predominantly white high school. So, well, just Gahanna schools in general. And, I mean, Black History Month would come and we learned about, what, three people. We learned about Harriet Tubman, we learned about Martin Luther King, and we learned about Frederick Douglass. And you might get a couple people in between. 
you know, they might sprinkle in a Sojourner Truth there or a Phyllis Wheatley and other, you know, whatever else. But that's what they wanted us to learn because that's that's the approved curriculum, like Brian said. Right. When I, I look back on how history, and you know, both of you know, I am a huge, I'm a connoisseur of history. And I wanted to know something about me, about people that looked like me. I went out and found it because I knew I wasn't going to get it from the establishment. So taking critical race theory out of it for just a second and looking at myself as how I learned history, I was hungry enough to go out there and learn it. And in a way became a, became unaware. I mean, I would say became unaware of learning critical race theory without actually knowing what it was. And then when I got into high school and got into college and then I got the degree, you know, the minor in African-American studies, I had been, I had been studying critical race theory this entire time. I just didn't understand what it was. Yeah. But I think that makes, you know, it makes perfect sense. But I think that's the point is what we were taught, and I'll just keep it in the context of Black History Month because that's where you started with. Mm-hmm. What we got, and this might rub people, some people the wrong way, but I think it's accurate. I think the word's accurate. What we got was a sanitized version of Black history. We got a yes. version of it that other people were comfortable teaching because they weren't necessarily comfortable teaching what I'll say in air quotes is the truth, right? Correct. And so Correct. I get what you're saying. So you had to go seek it. And so yeah, I had to seek it out. Right. And so I think all of us to some degree have to go seek our own history, regardless of your background. I don't want to make this exclusively a, a black thing. Like I think everybody's got to go research, you know, their own history and the history of this country to kind of put into context um what's real and what isn't right because there are certain things that are true there are certain things that that aren't true but to brian's point about you know it being taught we're taught a very specific version of american history and i think what in my mind i think what critical race theory gets at is i think two things can be true at once You can have American exceptionalism and all of the greatness that America has achieved since its founding. You can teach that. I don't don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with speaking on the greatness of your country and the greatness of where you come from and having pride in your nationality. I mean, the Olympics are on right now and there are plenty of people of all sorts of backgrounds representing America and they're proud to represent America. And that's a beautiful thing. At the very same time, I think you can also admit that this country is built on the backs of people who have been disenfranchised and marginalized. Like one of the things that's not taught that we weren't necessarily taught is in the expansion West that the railroad in large part is built by Chinese people or that a lot of the land acquired in the heartland and in the West was land that was taken 
from Native American people as a result of Manifest Destiny. I mean, the entire state of Oklahoma was Indian territory. That's what I'm getting at. So, but those things aren't necessarily taught. Now, we can have a discussion about what's appropriate to teach an, an eighth grader or an 11th grader or whatever, but, you know, purposely omitting the truth is an issue, if that makes sense. But when and where you teach it, I think, is a fair conversation to have. But if you're starting from a premise of, I don't want that taught because it makes me uncomfortable, that doesn't fly with me. Well, I would agree. I mean, I think a perfect example of that is the teaching of the Civil War. I mean, depending on where you are and where you, I mean, where you were living at the time, you were either taught that this, that the Civil War was a war about slavery or it was a war about states' rights. Which is a bit of a sleight of hand. It's exactly. about states' rights, but what's, what rights did those states want? The right to own slaves. <laughs> right. So it, it, it's just, it's one of those things where, like, like you said, it, it is, I think it's important to teach it, but I would not call it that. Oh, okay. That's like the, the that's the defund the police argument. Call it yes. something else. It's bad Call marketing. Call it something it? else. So, since, hold on, Denise. I'm glad you brought that up. It is called something else. It's called the 1619 Project. Yes, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if we're being honest, that's what it's called. It's called the 1619 Project because that's the, in terms of how it went viral, that's the name that it went by. And, and then people deconstructed it. Yeah, yeah, like, of course. She started people. in 1619, but like we could go back another hundred years. Right, right, exactly. But but it's been deconstructed into this thing, critical race theory. But I just think that, um, I just think that it's it's being weaponized in a way to scare people. And I guess what I want to get at is, if you're scared, is it because and I'm asking this rhetorically because I really don't know. If you're scared, are you scared because you're afraid of what you might find out? Or are you scared because it would it um, makes you uncomfortable to have a conversation? You know, are you scared because you might be forced to acknowledge that there might be people in your family tree that maybe own slaves or you somehow benefited you know, your family's financial wealth is derived from being active in slave trade. Like, like I, I don't know. And I really hope people will, you know, reach out. I'd love to have a conversation with people so you guys can email the pod um, at tall, tatted, and educated at gmail.com. But great plug. Well, yeah, right, you know, right, right I, I do what I can, but. Um, I do want to have this conversation because I'm genuinely curious about what is it about this subject that makes you uncomfortable? What is it about this subject that makes you scared? Or to say a different way, what is it about this subject that you don't want taught to your children? And why don't you want it taught to your children? And again, if you I'm trying to put myself in someone else's shoes. If this is going to be taught in a way to where my child 
um, feel shame as a result. I'm not comfortable with that. I don't want any child to feel shame as a result of something that they had nothing to do with, especially as they're developing as a child, because that type of thing can linger with you for the rest of your life. I'm not for that, but I'm genuinely curious because, and Brian, you sent me this quote the other day from James Baldwin that I've been kind of stewing on all week. Cause I really, really Happy like birthday, it. Happy birthday, James. And, um, 97 this week. All right. 97. Um, the quote is we can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and denial of my humanity and right to exist. And Oh, Dennis, that's on my Facebook page, bro. Oh, well, that's, that's, the, that's the picture behind my Facebook page. I don't know that cuz I don't check your Facebook. But I don't even check my Facebook. But my point know. is is that if you're uncomfortable with the subject um because of all the reasons we just stated, I want to understand why you're uncomfortable with it, because if it's just you just want America lifted up and you don't want to talk about America's problems or issues or whatnot, then, you know, I, I guess, go, you know, you, you can stick your head in the sand all you want, but that doesn't change anything at all. Or is it you don't want to acknowledge the oppression that people who look like me have had to endure and how you might've benefited from it. And again, I'm not mad at anybody if you benefited from it because you really didn't have any say in it being created, but it was created in such a way to where you were expected to maintain it and build upon it. And what I'm saying is, is that if we're ever going to fix it, then we have to work together to start to dismantle some of it. So I hope that makes sense. It does make sense. And what what it remind what you just said reminds me of post World War II Germany, like Germany today. When they go into their schools and they teach their kids, they teach their kids about the Nazis, and uh, and I mean they are brutally honest they are uh they, they you can still take your you can take the students over to uh dachau and the different concentration camps like they ingrained that part of their horrible history into their own curriculum so that we this does not happen again but at the same time and, and i mean and it works that there are things that, that there are things in germany that you can't walk around with anymore i mean obviously you know, the Nazi flag is illegal or whatnot, but they took what they took that, I guess you could call it, I don't want to call it guilt because that's not the right word, but they took it and made it a point to, to tell the story of the history without necessarily sacrificing the, the story. But at the same time, it also took them two world wars to realize that how you tell a story to your own people is it can be so important to how your country is perceived outside of it. Right. And I think what you just hit on is <laughs> this, people aren't going to like this, but this is, this is always Russia's argument back to us, which is don't preach to us about what it is that we do when you've got, 
so many issues in your own country and you purposely, mm-hmm. you know, disenfranchise black people. Like a lot of people don't know that there is a, you know, at least there used to be, I don't know anymore. And you might know this, Denise, knowing history, but there used to be at one point a significant black population in Russia. Yes. It's not as big as it used to be. But yeah. Right. Not as big as it used to be. But one of the things over there was that they weren't necessarily discriminated against because of their race. Now yeah, I'm not Paul, here to Paul tell. I, I'm not here to defend communist. Yeah, I'm not here to defend communism because I don't think communism works as a economic structure for a variety either. of different reasons. I don't. Either. So I'm not That'll here to defend. Yeah. Yeah, that's a different story it. for a different day. Is it, yeah, that's another. That's another pot altogether. But I do think though that's what they are getting at when you know when they make their argument and they're not necessarily wrong there. But I think sometimes, um, I'm going to say this because as great of a country as America is, America at times traffics in propaganda. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I think about one of the biggest sort of um, propaganda artifacts from a historical perspective is m- this concept of manifest destiny. Oh my this, God! This, I hear that one more this this time. this idea this idea this shining city upon that, the hill. No 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 not that. That's calm to down. Me. Yeah yeah, calm down, calm down, and dial it back. Um, we're just having a we're just having a conversation. Just saying. I'm not I'm not talking about that in my mind, Denise. That's marketing. What I'm getting at is this notion that it is our God given right to own all the land. From sea to shining sea, with complete and total disregard for the people that currently live on the land you want to occupy. And that was sold as propaganda. People bought it, and it helped to get us where we are today. And I think if I go back to what you said about what we were taught when, it was taught as, yes— you know, the people in the States believe that hi Ed as he barks in the background. Um, so no, you're fine. So we were taught it, but it was more like a flyover, like, Oh, manifest destiny is this concept that we were supposed to own all the land between the East coast and the West coast. And then they just move on to the next subject without really diving into, um, the impact that that sort of thing had on native American people and trying to bring this full circle. Is that because you don't want to acknowledge what happened to native American people? Does it make you uncomfortable that that happened or like that you might have to acknowledge that? Um, Do you feel like you might have to owe somebody something as a result of that pain and suffering that was caused? Um, and to me, that's what critical race theory gets at is it's more of an honest conversation about the history of this country and how things were put together in a way to disenfranchise us. That it's not intended, at least this is my interpretation of it. So, again, I'm open to other interpretations, but it's not meant to shame anyone. It's to acknowledge what happened so we can try to fix it. But with that, Brian, you've been explic- uh, explicitly non-hyperverbal. Yeah, Brian. <laughs> um, well, I'm just here so I don't get fined. Um, 
<laughs> I mean, well, to me, another another way to talk about it. Another way to talk about it another way to talk about sorry. It sorry. 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 It's the people next door. <laughs> is um, another way that I think about it too is if you're looking at it in terms of um, the tentacles of race, right? So how is race, um, how is it weaved into different parts of society, parts that you can see and parts that you can't see, right? Um, and then also, where is it? And then also, can we do anything about it? And I'll start, like we talked about, a lot of it, or part of it, is education in terms of how we teach it. Um, to your point, Dennis, you made a comment about people feeling bad potentially. I think, I think it's a little bit of that. There's probably a little bit of shame, and quite frankly, I think it's a human nature to not want to be uncomfortable and be in uncomfortable positions. So, if you're put in a position to say, "Hey, not you personally, but you like your people before you are responsible for this." Um, you know, there's not a lot of people who are going to want to sit there, sit there in that in that chair and take that. You know, they're not going to want to listen to that. So as a result, um, I think people shy away from it. And then certainly there's the argument why I didn't do anything. I didn't. I don't have a hand in that, which you're right. You didn't have a hand in it. But, you know, is it worth talking about how we got to this point and what's the best way to go forward? And so I think there are, I think it's just really, I think people just don't want to be put in awkward situations and they don't want to feel guilt about it. But isn't that life? Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, true. Yes, it is life. And, and so certainly, um, you know, <laughs> I was going to say, it, no, I won't say that. But um, I do think that, um, my hope is, and you spoke on this before, Dennis, that I think that we have certainly populations get younger. Babies are born, they grow up to be young people. So I do think that um, we are at a point now where a lot of people who are certainly our age or certainly even younger are looking at things in a, in a manner and reevaluating things that maybe people our age didn't have the luxury to do, or maybe we didn't know to do. Um, so I think that with a, it's kind of like anything, like if you have a problem and you get a fresh set of eyes on it, maybe somebody brings out something that you hadn't thought of or a resolution or, or something like that. So I think that we're in an era in which a lot of people are just questioning everything. And so I'm here for it because I think that questioning, um, I, I think it's always good to question to see if you're if you're doing something right or if there's a way to improve it. And also, there's you know, question. It's good to uh, use in my uh, Fox News voice. I'm just asking questions, right? Um, so, <laughs> uh, but to seriously, like you know, put theories out there and either you know see if they if they pass muster or not. So, um, well, you hit on something. Pass the smell test. Well, yeah. you you hit on something, Brian. That. One of the things that I I'm a big believer in I is the I yes you do um, <laughs> um I'm a big believer in the idea that you should always challenge what you think you know 
that you you if you kick over enough rocks you might find that you don't know everything that you thought you knew and i guess this discussion really gets at a larger point which is are people comfortable with the idea or the notion that specific parts of american history were kept from you and denise to your point that you had to go and seek it yourself in order to really understand who you were, where you came from, and where you fit, and how you fit, I should say not where, how you fit into society. Well, and, yes. And and I think, too, is like like a perfect example of that. And I don't know if, Brian, you remember this or not, because Dennis, I think you were already in high school or getting ready to go to college. But like they sent like a letter home from Gehanna talking about uh, warning, warning parents about your kids learning about Malcolm X. Do you remember that? I do not. Okay, so I remember bringing this letter home, and I gave it to Dad, and Dad ripped it up and was just. I was like, gonna say he's go the learn? first of all. He's the wrong one to. <laughs> that's the wrong, to person. Get, <laughs> that's the wrong so person. to so I was that like to. sixth grade. I'm like sixth seventh grade, and I'm reading the autobiography of Malcolm X at age six. What is however however old you are? And, was and it black history month? I don't remember, but I did. I did read. I almost uh, feel uh, like it had before. to be. To be honest, it had to have been. You're not breaking that out in October. <laughs> well, I'll say this. I did read that one summer in high school. Like, I remember I read that book, the Alex Haley book. But Denise, yes. to your point, I did that on my own. I right. didn't do that as a result of, like, some sort of summer curriculum. But I also knew deep down that if I wanted to know about my history, about what made me me, I was never going to get it from Gehanna. I knew that. But but, but to be just, but but to but 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 to be clear, don't put that exclusively on Gehanna. You no. could go to any public school in this country and you wouldn't learn that. That's not exclusive right. to Gehanna, right? But what I'm saying is, like, for, because of who we are, at, like, and how we grew up, knowing that my grandfather's a Tuskegee Airman, but yet they don't mention it at all in school, automatically yes. told me I have to go out and get this on my own. Yes, that is correct. You have to be proactive and you have to go get it on your own. And it's unfortunate. And again, I do think it's a worthwhile conversation to say, at what point do you really teach authentically the truth of this country? I think that's a fair question. And I think it's fair that this probably shouldn't be taught when you're talking about this level of context and nuance and mm -hmm. the ripple effect of how these things are built upon each other and how they're interconnected. I don't think this is an appropriate conversation for someone who's 11 or 12 years old. Like Brian, no, I couldn't I imagine talking to the boys about any of this in any detailed and nuanced way. I think that's unfair to them, but uh, no, I, I, yeah, well, <clears throat> I think Wesley could do it. Well, here's the thing. I've the only thing I've told them because I try to. I don't want to. How do I put this? They're going to learn whatever they're going to learn because the curriculum is going to teach them whatever they determine. Um, I, all I've said is that as it pertains to history, if you have questions or you think something doesn't sound right, then we'll talk about it because. Um, you know, you have to learn what you have to learn to pass your class, but that doesn't necessarily mean like, you know, the chapter ends and then that's the end of history. Like there's more than likely, there's probably, you know, a wealth of knowledge that goes behind it. The only thing specifically that I've told uh, 
any of them, and you hit on this earlier, is that uh, if anyone tells you that the Civil War was fought over states' rights, that's incorrect. And yeah. if anybody tells you any differently, if your teacher tells you differently, then you can tell your teacher to call me. Because, yeah, because yeah, because we can factual, have that conversation. That's factually sure. incorrect. Um, so, and I, and we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but if you go chronologically, when I think about what I learned in history growing up, and you think about it chronologically, it's like <clears throat> you have the Revolutionary War that America tries to figure it out, and then um, the whole slavery thing is a problem. So then once they fight the Civil War and so forth, it's like, oh, okay, you guys are all free, so we're all good now. And then like, yep. all of a sudden, like, it just we just skip over Reconstruction and all this other and, and the plight for essentially like a hundred years until yep. until like Martin Luther King comes along and they go, wait a minute, like yep. there's a whole section here that we are missing. There's a but, whole section of like race riots and everything. And again, that's where I'm talking about that as we are at a point where I think people are starting to discover a lot of things that they that they did not know. And people are starting to question things that they have been taught. And so because of that, that's what gives me hope because I feel as though we're at a place where maybe we can't have every discussion, but we're, I think that going forward, we're going to be able to have a lot more discussions, more so than what we had previously. Right. But I think the question is, this is a safe place to have that discussion. I think the larger question is when is it appropriate for young people to have this conversation? Because again, again, this is not being taught to your children K through 12 today, nor will it ever be taught to them because the States control the curriculum. So if your child is learning this, it's because they are in law school or they have a major or a minor in African-American studies. Just to be clear, yes. I want to give that PSA, Denise, before you say what I think, but, but I think this is why I think that how, how Germany teaches their history in school is such a great example. But it's also a horrible example because it took two world wars for them to get there. But, and I'm, but. I'm not saying that we're not trying. I'm not saying we need to get to that point. But the way in which they do it is, is I would call it is almost the standard. Is how you well, should teach well, it. Well, to to your point, to your point, if you take the because uh, you, you know during the whole George Floyd thing, um, uh, I'm going like it was a thing, but you know certainly last summer, right? I understand. So I was talking with a lady who, for the life of her, could not understand why statues of Civil War heroes, and I use heroes in air quotes. um, I hear them over here. Being toppled by... um, by You mean Confederate statues? Yes. Yes, he's talking about Confederate statues. I said... uh, Civil War heroes. That's what I'm saying. I I want to be clear. These are... Okay. Yes. Yes. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it alone. Okay. I'll I was going to say I was like, Grant's a hero, but those other dudes. Yeah. Um, so she couldn't understand why they were being taken down in mass. And oh, bless her heart. I know. And so 
I had to explain to her, and I used Germany as an example, and I said, how many statues of Hitler do you think are standing in Germany right now? Or anybody associated with that? Um, Germany learned a hard lesson. Twice. And through that hard lesson, they realize you should not be lionizing these people. You need to not so much whitewash it, but you need to it needs to be a teaching point. It needs to be a learning uh, mechanism to show, you know, the evils of things that can happen. As it pertains to America and their Confederate Civil War heroes, um, those statues were not put up in 1867 or 1865. They were put up in like 1920 or 1950, or 1970, or whatever it was. So they were put there as a reminder for people of color to let them know in a certain kind of way, yeah, y'all won this war, but this is still our place. And they'd kind of throw it in your face. So It's a symbol of terror. Yeah. So, yes. so having to explain that, and you could see the light bulb go off in her head. You're like, wow, I never really thought of that. Because Aww. it was never taught because to it, you. Because, it, because it was never, because she just never thought of it. She no, there's, never, there was it, never a reason to exactly. because it was hidden from you, which is Denise's point about how it's taught. Exactly. And that's our point. So, so the era in which we live now, and I'll circle back to it, the era in which we live now, you know, while we are, um, I don't want to say we're steeped in this, but um, but we know it better than other people because we live it, right? So while we're here in the pool, other people are coming in and we're telling people the water's fine. Like, it's yes, you can come in. Like, this is what it is. Like, this is what's going on. And so because of that, I think that's conversations are being had like the one I have with that lady. So having to explain, you know, that and, and just, you know, things in general. But, um, I think as long as, as long as people are learning, I'm all for it. And so, yes, it might be a little slower for people to get where we are, but you know, that's how but the fact that they're willing to have the conversation exactly. shows that there's hope here. Exactly. Exactly. Well, so, I think because before that conversation, that woman had she literally it never crossed her mind that that a Confederate statue would be thrown up and and, and put in the face of people of color, just as kind of like an you. Well, right. it's one of those things we talk about all the time, which is you come to it when you come to it, right? right? Mm -hmm. But I think, and what I at least what I hope is that the more episodes that we do like this we you know allow or create a safe space to have a conversation like this where people can approach this so that way people can really understand without a bunch of propaganda without a bunch of you know media bias and slants and angles and all of this but just have a a really open and honest conversation about what this is and what this isn't. But if you see people, you know, pounding on the table about why this needs to be taught, it's because, you know, you're, oh, there's an omission of the truth here. Mm -hmm. And 
by omitting the truth, you kind of keep people blind to everything else that moves. And we as Americans over time have gotten particularly lazy in certain aspects of our lives. And one of them is... <laughs> yeah, I know. Bro, that's breaking news for for some people, but um, he's breaking news now. Exactly. Um, but I think it's one of those things where we've just come to accept that there are certain things, and this is the way things are, and we've just come to accept them without ever really questioning or challenging those notions. And so, Brian, what you brought up about. Hey, we're really challenged. People are really challenging and questioning oh, no, no, I, this stuff. I wouldn't say that. That I wouldn't say it full throated like that. I would say that. I'm just saying what gives me hope is that I feel like we are at a place, and it's taken a long time to get there. And certainly, not everybody's on that train. But I think with younger people, and you've even made this comment before, Dennis, about how um, you know kids today, like they're. You know, they look at the LeBron James or they look at, you know, where they can actually like look at those people and like they identify with them. So for them, not so much that they don't see race, but so much as it's like it's not as big an issue. So like, yeah, well, why can't this person do this or why can't this person do that? Um, certainly me, too. Like, you know, it's a, I think it's a confluence of a lot of things where people are just kind of at a point now where they're like, yeah, I don't really get down with how, you know, my parents learned or I don't, I don't like what my grandfather says. Like, yeah, I'm not for that. So I, I just feel like, and it, like I said, it's not, I'm not saying that, you know, it's a, it's a complete woke mob all across America, but I feel like people are at a point where like, yeah, okay. I've noticed that the person does that. And I don't like that. Or, you know, I don't like the way this is being taught or I don't like the way that I'm being treated. I don't like the way my friend's being treated. And so people will say something as opposed to be like, oh, well, those be the brains. No, Brian, I agree. I think <laughs> we're saying the same thing. I don't I'm not saying that there's some woke mob out there um, the way it's being portrayed on the media. Like there's just a gang of woke people walking around every day. I, that's not been generally my experience. Um, there are plenty of people that are woke and I know them, but. I would also tell you, it's also been my experience, a lot of the people that are woke will will also acknowledge to me they're not as woke as what they would like to be. Like, they want to know That's more. True. You know what I'm saying? So it's not necessarily, it's one of those things your, your parents, the old folks in your life used to tell you, don't believe everything you hear. It's the same, that principle still holds true today. Now, I've also seen some stuff about, well, this critical race theory is rooted in Marxism and, you know, <laughs> it's it's really like a way to like though. undermine capitalism and, and this, oh, that, and the third. And, and I'm going to say, full disclosure, I have not done enough research on it to make that determination one way or the other. Sure, but yeah. I, I do think, though, at some point, and this is a point that Eddie Glaude Jr. makes. He's a professor out of Princeton. Princeton. And he like makes Eddie. Read, you read his book about um, about James Baldwin. Baldwin. Yeah, it. it's it's really good. Yeah, I like Eddie. And Eddie's one of the good. points that he makes all the time is that if America is ever going to live up to, um what it claims to be or what it expounds to be. If we're ever going to live up to that, then we're going to have to have a very uncomfortable conversation. And what my hope, Brian, is that 
we move, we take steps towards having that conversation. Because I've said this many times before, if everything was equal, if we really achieved full equality, I would most likely lean conservative because on principle, I think they're right. But my issue is they want to talk as if we've already achieved it, knowing we haven't. So mm-hmm. it's a disingenuous argument to me. At the same time, Democrats cont- and, and liberals sell you a dream they cannot deliver all the every time. Every time. So every time. They pump fake. A dream it's deferred a, it's, each it's time. A, it's a 52-pump fake all day. It's the equivalent of me putting gas station vodka in a goose bottle, in a gray goose bottle. That's what oh, Democrats that's do. But that's yeah, what and, they and, do. And telling you that you upgraded yeah, and telling yeah. you that you upgraded. Absolutely. <laughs> VIP. And it charged me $400 for this gas station vodka and a Grey Goose bottle. That's Man, what Democrats are it, to me. I better be shitting gold at that amount. So that being said, and we've talked about this many times, I don't know what we're supposed to do when you're stuck in the middle with no options. At this point, I'm only voting for the people that are trying to protect my right to vote. That's the only issue I care about. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not a big fan of single issue voters because i think you need to think about a lot of things when you vote but now i've become one of them and that is my issue but that's another story for another day so this has been a really good conversation and i really hope that this conversation leads to other conversations so for those of you listening please reach out um and email the pod because we definitely want to keep this conversation going but one of the things i think i want to wrap on is what now that we've had this conversation and we've acknowledged all the things that aren't taught in school around American history and things that are uh, left out or omitted on purpose, if you will, or by design, maybe not on purpose, but by design, because we're protecting people's feelings or people are uncomfortable having these conversations. I'm curious, what is it that you want to see taught that isn't taught today? So I'll give you an example of something I learned recently that I did not know. And what I did not know is that mac and cheese, everybody, not everybody, but almost everyone's favorite comfort food was created by a black man who was a slave for Thomas Jefferson. I found that Uh out in the last three weeks. And, (laughs) And his mac and cheese tasted different from what it is today because he boiled the pasta in milk instead of water. And it changed the texture of the mac and cheese. A black man who was his slave, who Jefferson took with him to France when he was secretary of state. He was classically French trained as a chef. And that man won his freedom by training his brother to replace him because Jefferson said, I have too much invested in you for you to walk away and I get nothing. So you need to train your replacement. He trained his brother and that man gained his freedom and went north to Philadelphia. Uh, you know, the guy, you know, the creator of potato chips is also black. No, I did not know this, but, <laughs> but I'm saying and that's just an example. But yes. I'm curious, Denise, I'll start with you because you've got 80 of these things. What are some of those things that we weren't taught in school that we that you would that you think not think that you wish we would have known about that was omitted or purposely um, not told to us? What are what are some of those things you wish 
you there would have are, learned? There are a million things I wish that I could have learned beforehand. Um, but I will keep it as I'll keep it as simple as I as I can. Black literature. When we were little, we, we you know we talked about the three people we might learn in school and we would talk about poetry sometimes in English class. And you've got, you might get a little flip of a per of a black person. You might get one person that's Phyllis Wheatley, or you might get Angela Davis, but there's a whole camaraderie of Angela Davis. I was thinking Maya Angelou. Like or Maya Angelou. Angelou. Sorry. So whatever. Go but try Maya but, Angelou out there every <laughs> February. Sorry. But, sings, but like there's so many <laughs> other folks out Check there. The box. You, yeah, that, that you should that, that we should know about from you know from County Cullen to you know Langston Hughes to Zora Neale Hurston. I mean, you know France Fanon. You don't even have to stand with stay in with uh, with the Black Americans, but learning about Black literature, Black essays, Black radical thought would have done an amazing thing for people like, especially the kind of people like us that that think the, in the way that we do. And I wish I had gotten that as a younger person instead of discovering it once I got to college, because it, it opened up an entire new way of thinking for me. I, I, I could see that because if you can see it, then you can achieve it, right? Yes. Like at this point, you know, there's no excuse. You could be the president of the United States. Yeah. To, to this day, the, to this day, the deepest author I've ever read is Frantz Fanon. And he he wrote a piece on negrophobia. It is a, like he coined the term negrophobia. I, Dennis, that'll be that'll probably be another podcast for another day. But the concept of negrophobia is something along the lines of critical race theory. But it's way beyond what it goes well beyond anybody's real comprehension of what the fear is of being black and the fear that black people put in to other people, even when we don't realize it. Okay, that's good. Brian, what about you? Uh, I would probably say, so I'll give you an example, but it's more like a, a you know, a piece of a bigger picture. Um, what I think about would be somebody like Martin Luther King Jr. in terms of like, we get the sanitized version of yeah, he fought for this and he led the bus riots or uh, Montgomery and the whole nine. But like, that's like the glossed over version because he's almost like lionized. Like he's mm-hmm. a saint now. Like, but we're not really talking about like, you know, him and like John Lewis. But like these people were like, they they came. Well, not want to say cake, but like you look at John Lewis. John Lewis came out on the other side of that. Uh, but all the things that those people went through on a daily basis, like all the racism, the violence, the whole nine, but we just get this like whitewashed version of they fought for this and mm-hmm. they're right. Like, but the, we don't get down to the nitty gritty. Um, but the bigger picture thing to piggyback off that, uh, something Larry Wilmore said here recently is that in the concept of critical race theory and what we've talked about before, um, but his argument was something to the effect of. Um, that old line that you can have your own, you can have your own opinion, but you, you're not entitled to your own facts, right? Right. So what we should be teaching are facts, things that actually happened, 
So, yes, Tulsa happened. That should be in a history book somewhere. You should be taught about Tulsa in the same way that Germany teaches about Hitler and World War One and World War Two. so we don't repeat these things. So I'm here for if, it, if it's factual and it happened, it needs to be taught and it needs to be in the history book. All Warts and all. So it's going to make a lot of people mad and it might make a lot of people upset. And like you said, this, it might be uncomfortable. But you cannot dispute that these things happened. And if they happened, they need to be taught. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I agree with that. So I'll give you two things that come to mind for me. One that I learned like two weeks ago and another one that I've known for a while. The one I learned two weeks ago is we tend to glorify pirates and the idea mm-hmm. of being outlaws and this, that, and the third and blah, blah, blah. But one of the things that's never talked about or never taught is that part of the wealth that came from being a pirate came from hijacking slave ships. Uh-huh. And they did not necessarily free black people on those ships. They just took them into shore. A lot of times it was Charleston, South Carolina, or near about those parts. And they took those people on shore and sold them and profited. That's yep. not something that people really know. And the second thing, and this is one I've known for a while, that the original first person that refused to give up their seat on the bus is not Rosa Parks. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. It's a 15-year-old girl named Claudette Colvin. But the reason why you don't know anything about her was because she was 15, she was dark-skinned, and she was pregnant and wasn't married. Yep. And... Uh, you know, the Southern, 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 Southern Leadership Conference and these guys, you know, yep. they all got together and realized there's no way we can get public support if this pregnant 15 year old girl is the face of our movement. So Rosa Parks was planted on the bus. Yes, she was. She is not the first person to give up her seat on the bus, but that's how the story is told. So that's what we go with. But and this so woman's that, name sort of lost to history. And it's important that you would, because this woman's still alive today. Yeah, she is. Yeah. And, the, and that, but that goes to my, that goes now. to my point. That's something that factually happened. Yes. So that yes. needs to be taught. Not, and that's not to take any shine off Rosa Parks or anything that's like that. right certainly she played a role in this and uh, she suffered and as a result of the role work. that she played yes exactly. she took one for the team absolutely 100 percent. but the former the lady you just uh, uh mentioned Claudia. she needs to be that needs to be talked about that needs to be reported that needs to be taught Right. And then also, why are they even boycotting the bus in the first place? Yes. States' rights. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Um, states' you know, rights. Although they, I will I mean, say, I, I will say, when I did get to high school and I did take a handful of history classes in college, we got. Not so much in high school, but definitely in college. We got into a little more of the context and the nuance of things like the civil rights movement or the Vietnam War, all those sorts of things. But, you know, like Uh, 
but, but, but you, you know, see, but, but but to your point, but you just said it perfectly. That is a level of thought and conversation that you had in college. That's right. Exactly. That's right. So, so to put, I don't want to say to put a bow on it because you know you wrap it any way you want, but. That's a conversation. That is a thought process with nuance and, um, and context. Those are things that happened in college. Right. Those aren't things that happen right after you learn your primary shapes and colors. Right? <laughs> so, yeah. Like, Nor should it be. You, like I think we're had, all on the same you page had, there. You had to build up to that. I yes. you had to go through I mean, America's educational system. You went to college, and then you just had the initial conversations about it because critical race theory is in theory, or uh, my not theory, but that's talked about in law school. So you would have had to have gone getting a four year degree, and then you get to that. So yeah. and see, so, I would say that like when I was in school, when I was in college, there were two classes and two books that changed it for me. One, the one class was. Uh, radical Black Thought. And the book for that class was I Am Because We Are, Readings in Black Philosophy, which is sitting on my bookcase because I never got rid of it. And the second one was Racism in Religion. And that book was the, was the, oh God, now I forgot what the song, what the damn thing was. Oh, sorry, it's right in front of me. Uh, Seeds of Racism in the Soul of America. And yeah, showing, I have that book. You gave that to me. It's on my. Yes. It's on my um, uh, list of books to read. Yes, yes. Uh, Doctor Griffin, uh, R.I.P. Wherever you are, um, those two classes, those two books, completely changed everything I knew. I already was somebody who wanted to learn more about who I was. I was already at that level, but once I got to college and I was exposed to how racism and religion, how Christianity. And black people and the relationship with black people in America has shaped part of the reason why we are in this situation. Okay, we're gonna. I'm gonna have to stop you there because you're gonna go off on a tangent, and that's a whole nother. We no, we're. we're, I'm not. We can't go there. We can't go there. Not in this episode. We can, we we cannot go there. That's oh, read a, the book we, now, so we now, can have a conversation. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We we we'll we'll get that done. Um, so to sort of wrap this up, I just want people um, to come away with a few things. One, I don't think critical race theory is something you need to fear in terms of this being taught to your children because it's not going to be taught to your children. That's the first thing. I think the second thing is if you're uncomfortable having a conversation about critical race theory or about racism or discrimination, I think you have to take an honest look in the mirror and ask yourself why. And third, and this is probably the biggest thing, is I think you need to challenge you know, or question what is it that you weren't taught and why weren't you taught it? Because... If you were learning things as a result of this conversation that we all on this episode knew, what else is there that we know that you don't know as a result of it being purposely omitted? And that's the big takeaway I want people to have. But again, if you guys um, have questions well, say, or to thoughts. Piggyback or re- off that, to piggyback off that, and that also goes both ways. Because there's things that we probably don't know either. Absolutely. Oh, 100%. 100%. So, and I if want- you just need somebody to talk to about this without like you know, getting people angry, by all means, talk to one of us. <laughs> 
We won't yeah, get offended. Well, well, this this is a safe space. This um, is a very safe space. The three of us are space. safe people. We're safe people. You too can talk with us. You're selling it too hard. Yeah, just a <laughs> just a, just a little bit. We're not licensed therapists. We're not counselors. That's you got to go to Roy for that. But that's another yeah. conversation. Shout out to Roy. Congrats, Roy. Congrats on uh, passing your test and becoming a licensed therapist. Proud of you, brother. Um, so with that. Uh, I want to thank you guys for for jumping on because I've been really wanting to have this conversation for a while because I see it in the news and in the media and I just feel like it's way deeper than how it's being contextualized and I wanted to be able to unpack some of this um, and have a conversation. So again, please share your thoughts about this episode um, email them to the pod again. That's tall, tatted, and educated at gmail.com. And uh, thank you guys for tuning in. And uh, we'll check in with you guys next time. Appreciate you guys jumping on. This was good. Yep, yep. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Bye. Yep. Peace. Deuces.